Hi, my name is Joy and I'm from England. This episode is brought to you by MPW. Are you sick of relying on other, often unreliable producers or musicians to create your music? And would you love to be able to produce your own music but are not sure where to start? If so, claim your free chat with the team at MPW to understand how they can help you get started and to take control of your music. Use the link in the show notes to book in a chat. Let MPW help you take your first step in your music production journey. Uh, what am I saying? <laughs> this is MPW. MPW. The podcast with your host, Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Emma Butt is a freelance dubbing, re-recording mixer, dialogue, ADR and sound effects editor, as well as ADR recordist. She is an IFTA nominee for Best Sound category and has over 14 years of experience in post-production sound. In her career, she has worked on numerous shows and films, including Game of Thrones, Sex Education, Doctor Who and loads more. Great to have you on the podcast today, Emma. How is your morning going so far? I believe nine or so in the morning for you? <laughs> yes, it is. And I am on my second coffee, which I'm hoping will kick in soon and wake me up. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I actually have a weirdly low tolerance to caffeine. So if I had had two coffees by that point, I'd be probably bouncing off the walls, I think. <laughs> So I am very keen to learn from you a little bit about ADR and sound effects, recording and all of that good stuff. But before we get into that, I would love to hear a bit more about your career and where did things start for you and how did you get to where you are today in like a summarized format? Well, I actually never planned to work in TV and film. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a weird one. I think if you speak to anybody who works in sound and TV and film, they're either failed musicians um, (laughs) or they wanted to do music and it never really panned out. Like we're all musicians at heart. So when I was in school, I was in choirs and I used to love to sing. And I just knew I was never going to be good enough. So we were recording an album for charity and this guy came along with his mixing desk and his microphones. And I was like, that is so cool. That is what I want to do. Like, that's my career. And so I went to university and I studied sound engineering and advanced recording techniques. But the uni that I went to covered live sound, music and TV and film. So I got an overview of everything. And I did work experience in a venue because live sound was what I really, really wanted to do. Did that for a year and hated it. It was so sexist. The hours were terrible. Like you just couldn't have a personal life. I think I used to be in the venue from five o'clock in the afternoon and then finish at 3 a.m. And then you'd have to like rinse and repeat every day. And so it was just like, this is not going to be a career for me. So when my uni course was coming to an end, I had that a panic of, oh crap, I'm going to into the real world. I need to get a job. And I just started applying everywhere. So I applied to a post-production facility as a runner and they had told me, you know, you'll hear by the Friday if you've got the job. Friday came, I hadn't heard anything. So I sent an email just checking in and just seeing if there was any update. And I found out later on that as I sent that email, They had actually hired someone else because they thought that I was going to be too timid to be a runner. And the girl that they had hired instead of me went on her lunch break and never came back because she hated it so much. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) my email landed in their inbox right as this had happened. 
And so they emailed me back straight away and said, can you start on Monday? And I still had three months of uni left to do. So I went in and spoke to my course leaders and they were like, this is exactly what we've been training you for. You have to take this. We'll sort it out so you can finish uni part time. And yeah, go take this job. And that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I love that. That's so, so cool. And some of these things, and when we talk about this with a few of our guests, like you can't even plan that, like the way that that happened for you and the timing of it, it just, you know, was probably meant to be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we always say that so much of this industry is luck. And I think it was definitely luck that got me into that position. And it's frustrating because people come to me and ask for advice on how I started out my career. And I tell them that story and it's like, well, There was determination in it as well, because I didn't just wait around for that email to come into my inbox. I put myself out there and I chased after that opportunity. But also, I just got really lucky that that girl hated that job so much that they replaced her with me. So, yeah, it's frustrating because you want to give someone starting out better advice and better, you know, way of getting in. But really, it's just right place, right time sometimes. Mm, Yeah, for sure. And like you said, the determination part of it, I'm sure that wasn't the only email that you sent. And that's the thing as well is there is luck, but there's also creating your luck as well by just putting yourself continuously out there and hoping something sticks. And can you tell me a random fact about yourself that maybe not that many people in the music industry know about you? Oh, definitely. I do aerial acrobatics in my spare time. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think many people really expect that, but that's my way of de-stressing from work is to go and hang upside down on a rope or a hoop for an hour twice a week. Oh my gosh. Like how long have you been doing that? And like, for me, that's like a bit anxiety inducing of like (laughs) falling off. (laughs) I mean, there's definitely that fear there when you're doing it, especially with new moves. I think I've been doing it about eight or nine years now. I started when I was living back in Dublin and then when I moved to the UK, I continued doing classes. But it's amazing because, as you said, like it is anxiety inducing about falling, but you cannot think about anything else while you're concentrating on that class. And the TV and film industry can be really overwhelming sometimes because it's so busy and there's so much to do and projects can be very stressful. And to have that hour where you can just go to a class and you can check your phone, you can check your emails, clients cannot talk to you, they can't contact you. And you can just be around really lovely, inclusive people who support you and cheer you on. And you get to try something fun and something new. It's amazing. It is the best de-stressor I've ever done. Okay. Also, the way you describe that, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should see if there's some aerial <laughs> acrobatics near me. <laughs> there's actually tons in Australia, so you definitely okay. can. Yes. And some of my favourite instructors who used to train in the UK have now moved back to Australia. So you have better okay. options than me right now. Well, I'll have to look it up then. <laughs> That's great. So can you tell me throughout your life, is there an event that if you could, you would change? Oh, that is a tough one. I think my only biggest regret is that I didn't move to the UK sooner. I had wanted to do it for years. I think anybody who worked with me in Dublin will remember me saying for years, I want to live in the UK. I want to live in London. I want to work over there. 
And I put it off because I got comfortable and I was doing really well in my career. I wasn't happy in Ireland. I never felt like I fit in there, mainly because I'm mixed race. So I had experienced racism and bullying, but also women over there are treated very differently, or at least they were when I was growing up. And I am very outspoken. I'm very independent. And I didn't fit into the Irish mould, so I never felt comfortable there. We had family in the UK, so I always used to come over and visit my family. And every time I came here, I felt like home and I felt like I belonged. And I just don't know why I put off coming over here for so long, because although it was quite hard starting my career again and starting my life over again, but it's been so worth it. And I've made so many incredible friends and I can speak out over here and I can you know, speak freely about diversity and inclusion. And I have settled into the UK industry, I think, fairly well for someone who's only been over here seven years. So yeah, it's kind of my biggest regret. Yes, it can be a tough decision to make that move, especially when things are going well and things are comfortable as well. And I think sometimes you need that push or something to drive you to make that big decision. And for me as well, my move to the UK only happened when everything was falling apart with my job and kind of other areas. And I was like, right, I need to make some big changes. But that doesn't seem to happen just as easily if everything is going perfectly well. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I did have something happen in my private life. I lost someone very close to me. And that made me reevaluate my priorities and what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, life's too short. And if I'm ever going to do this, I need to do it now. And so I did. And it was absolutely terrifying, really, really scary. But again, I would do it in a heartbeat. And it was so worth it. It was so worth that journey. But my career is one of the most important things to me because I've worked so hard at it. It's not been easy and it's been difficult, but it's been worth it. I was basically top of my game. And I had the decision, you know, I could stay there and be happy with my lot and continue doing as I was, or I could come to the UK and push myself even further. And I wanted to do more. I wanted to get further. So it was an easy decision in that regard, but was also very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us as well of the decision that finally took you to the move as well. And it seems like you really embraced that and made the most of it, which is really, really great to hear. So jumping into our topic today about dubbing and dialogues, can you tell me what is ADR to start with? (laughs) Oh, this question. Uh, (laughs) I always struggle to try and describe this. Okay. So ADR is done for a couple of reasons and the acronym stands for automatic dialogue replacement. It has a few other variations of that, but that is essentially what it is. So it is the process of re-recording an actor's lines in time to picture in a studio after they've been on set. So it's done for a couple of reasons. It can be done because of technical reasons. So if they're on set and they're doing their lines and there's background noise, and the dialogue editor just cannot remove the background noise. That's one reason. It could be done for script changes. So they've decided that there's a problem with the script for continuity reasons, and they need to add in a line of dialogue for the story to make sense. So they'll get the actor in and the actor will have to record the line before and the line after and the new line in the middle or whatever way it is. 
It can be done for performance reasons. So for whatever reason, they haven't had enough time on the day on set to get the performance that they want. So they'll come back into the studio and re-record for that reason. And then there's another version of ADR, which is called loop group or crowd ADR. And if you ever see like Game of Thrones or any of those big shows with big battle scenes in the background, the voices of those crowds is not recorded on the day or very rarely is. What they'll do is they'll hire a studio, get about 10 actors to come in, stand in front of a microphone and scream and shout and pretend they're in battle and recreate what you're seeing on screen. And then they'll layer that up with sound effects from a sound effects library of like battle cries. And all of that adds texture and adds realism. So you feel like that was recorded on the day. So that's the three kind of stages of ADR. Okay, that is fascinating. I guess when you think about it, it makes sense that that's how it's done. And I don't know how you would mic a situation that's actually going on like that. But yeah, when you mention it, that's not how I thought it was done. So that's really, really cool. And so when you said there is a combination of say in a standard acting scene without too much background noise where some of the sound is being captured on set. What would you say is often the split between what's recorded later compared to what's recorded on set? It really varies. So some shows you'll have next to no ADR because they've been in a controlled environment and they might be on a soundstage in a studio So there's not that much background noise, so they don't have to worry about that element and the performances are really clear and they're really happy. So they don't really have to do anything unless they want to change a line of script. Other situations, like one of the things that used to happen with Game of Thrones is they used to shoot in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland, terrible weather, like beautiful coastline, terrible weather. And they used to shoot on top of mountains. So there used to be this mental wind going on in the background and it would be all over the recordings and there was genuinely nothing that the location recorders could do to stop that, to prevent it. It was just, you know, the environment that they were in. So in that case, they would have to re-record a lot of ADR. So it does vary show to show and it's very dependent on where they are location-wise and how much time. What we're finding at the moment is budgets are being squashed and productions have a lot less money. So it means they can't shoot as many retakes of a scene. So it means that, you know, if they haven't got the shot they need, they'll try and do another take. Sound usually is the last concern because they feel like they can fix it in post. So if they get visually what they want, but sound is not quite there, they'll just be like, okay, we'll just have to ADR it. And it's not because they don't appreciate it a lot of the time. It's just they don't have the time. They don't have the budget to keep on doing takes. Then if we talk about the performance that an actor is kind of in and they're in the middle of a scene and obviously there's a lot of emotion, how do you then bring that into an ADR as well? With great difficulty. (laughs) ADR is really about psychology and it's about getting the actor back into the headspace that they were on the day. And the difficulty with it is that sometimes ADR can happen months after they've been on set. It can even happen a year after they've been on set. And if that actor had used a different voice, a different accent to play that character, trying to get back into that can be really difficult. So it's all about time. 
And it's about letting them rewatch their performance as much as they need to. Rewatching scenes where the performance is exactly what the director and the actor had been aiming for. And then just basically giving them time to keep on trying until they get it. You also need to make sure that there's no tension in the room. So I always try and play devil's advocate. And if there's any tricky personalities who might be there, I try and diffuse the situation. As the recordist, you're always there to kind of make sure that the actor is the person that's happy. So keeping an eye on their tea and coffee, it sounds like a tiny little thing. But if I see that their tea is running low, I will try and sneakily order another cup and make sure it comes down as soon as they need it. And it just makes them feel relaxed and they're not stressing and they don't have to think about anything. They can just focus on the performance. Again, if someone keeps on talking to them and trying to give them direction when actually they're in the right frame of mind and they just want to go and they just want to do a take, I will genuinely just press record so they have to be quiet and the actor can get on with their job. And I don't care who that is. I don't care if it's world famous director or producer or who they are. They are not my concern. The actor is, and I want them to be able to give the performance that they feel is the best. Yeah. You shouldn't never... do that to directors, but you know. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, what you are working for is the production and to get the best outcome. And if from your experience, that is, you know, getting the actor in the best headspace possible, then makes sense to me. <laughs> and I'm sure the director, you know, later on might realize why you did what you did. Yeah, I haven't been given out to so far, so I figured that it is appreciated eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And how did you go about working that part of it out as well? Because, of course, in your training, you would learn the technical skills and what you need to do to get a good quality recording. But this psychology part of it, I feel like likely was not covered. And I don't know, maybe it was. But how did you go about working that out and bringing that into your work? Honestly, it was just from repeatedly doing sessions and watching how the room works. When I started out, I was shadowing on sessions. So I was watching like other engineers work and how they engaged with the actors and with the directors and producers. And I got really lucky because one of the people that I learned from, they had realized about the psychology as well. And their concern was always the actors. So I learned from watching them and seeing how they interacted with people and what they did. And then I started reading articles and listening to podcasts as well with different engineers from all over the world. And there is one engineer in the States and what he does at the start of every session is he has music playing in his studio as the actors and the directors and producers walk in. And it is to create the atmosphere of this is a really chilled out room. You're coming in to relax. You're not coming in to do like a really difficult job. Just chill out. You know, this is a catch up with friends and it does work. It totally switches your brain into this is going to be a really stressful process into actually this is a really cool, chilled environment and I can just relax. And I used to try and do that as well. You know, I just started listening to everything that these engineers were doing and just tried to copy it. And then I saw for myself how much it worked and how much it put the actors at ease. And that was it. Okay. That is a very simple but effective method to change the environment in the room to something that's maybe a bit more relaxed. So that's great. The other thing that I always try to do was tea and coffee and biscuits. I always made sure that the room was full of snacks. 
So I would make sure that there was like a fruit bowl, there was chocolate, there was biscuits. I would make sure that there was tea and coffee in the room as soon as it was needed. There was plenty of water. And it's just trying to eliminate anything that might cause stress. One of the worst things that happens with actors is depending on the time of day of their session, stomach rumbles if they're hungry and it will interrupt a take. And as soon as that happens, the actors start getting stressed about their stomach is going to rumble right as they're going for a take and the take will be unusable and they'll have to go again. Whereas if you just have like fresh fruit in the room and bananas and, you know, easy to eat fruit that they can eat quickly, that chills them out because they can just grab it, eat it. They don't have to worry about their stomach rumbling and then just go for another take and they're cool. So it's little, little details. Everybody gets caught up on the technical aspect of it. But you need to remember there's people at the other end of this and just think about what the person needs and what you would want in that situation. Mm, that's great. And so many things there sound like common sense or, you know, things that would be easy to do, but maybe not something that everyone thinks about. So it's great to have that mentioned as well. And snacks make everyone happy, don't they? <laughs> I mean, I love my food. So maybe it's just me really wanting to have as much food around me as possible, but I'm still okay with that. <laughs> no, I think that's a great idea yeah. for everyone. <laughs> Thank you. I always make sure there's plenty yeah. of chocolate that I love. Yes. Oh, good, good. That's important. <laughs> so how would you recommend that someone builds their skill in this field? I would say, like I did, go online and start researching ADR mixers and look up podcasts that they've done, listen to interviews they've done, check out their workflows. There are resources out there. ADR is a bit of a tricky one because really you need to get into a studio and you need to get hands-on experience. It's the only way to kind of get used to the process. I mean, with sound editing and with mixing, it's something that you can kind of learn yourself at home. And ADR, and I think Foley as well, kind of falls into this. They are the two skill sets that you really need to be in a studio. So I think it's a case of reaching out and trying to ask people if you can come in and just shadow and just sit and watch, even just for half an hour. It's complicated sometimes because you have NDAs and that means that you cannot have anybody in the room who is not part of the production. But stuff like crowd sessions, crowd sessions are usually not NDA'd and they are perfect to ask people if you can attend. And usually they will try and rope you into being on the mic as well because they need an extra person. So <laughs> you're going to have to make sure that, you know, you're OK with improv and you're OK with hearing your voice on a mic. But it's incredible because then you get to see both sides of the coin and you get to see what it's like for the actors and what it's like for the engineers recording. So, yeah, it kind of is really the only way to do it is get hands on. OK. And would you say that you have to go to college or university around this or do you think just trying to get in and any way in would any be OK? Way in. Yeah. College courses and university courses are incredible for giving you a foundation and giving you an, a basic understanding of the tools we use, the software we use, how we do things. But I have to say, honestly, I learned everything I know from being in a studio. And when I was a runner, I used to go into the mix studios and sit in with the engineers before work, after work, on my lunch break. I used to ask them for projects that I could do in my own time outside of hours. And that's how I learned how to do my job. My uni course, I don't think anything that I learned, I really use in real life now. And I never really used it when I was in there. So I think, yeah, if you 
cannot afford to go to uni for whatever reason, it's totally fine. That doesn't mean you can't do this as a job. You know, Pro Tools and Reaper and all of these software manufacturers have now released, you know, free versions of their software. And it is usually, it's not the full version, but it's enough that you can sit down and you can start learning yourself about how it works and, you know, what a plugin is and how the reading works and all of the different options that they have. And I think just even doing that and giving yourself a basic knowledge and then reaching out to people and trying to learn from people directly, it's perfect. Mm, okay, that's great advice. And speaking of reaching out to people, if someone were to reach out to you via an email, say, what kind of email do you like to receive? Uh, introduce yourself. So explain who you are and don't be presumptuous. Some of the emails that I get, they're like, they come across as very arrogant. They're like kind of assuming that I have to give up my time to speak to them. It's really hard to phrase. I'm trying to think of some of the emails that I've received, but I, I won't say them. And actually, I can't remember the phrasing of them exactly. But I've just read them and just been like, that's not okay to send. I would always reach out to someone and just be like, I totally appreciate that you might be really busy and you might not have a lot of free time. But if you ever did even just have half an hour to speak, I would really appreciate it. And, you know, it would mean a lot to me. And you just want to show that you understand that people are busy and that this is them giving up their free time. And, you know, that you do value that instead of just being like, well, I'm a producer, director, or I'm a university student and I want to get into ADR. So can you meet me for an hour and tell me how you work? <laughs> yeah. Others reach out and say, can you tell me where to apply for jobs? And it's like, no, you need to put in the work yourself and you need to do your research just like myself and a lot of other people did. I'm not here to hand you stuff. You need to work for this because at the end of the day, if we're hiring assistants or if we're hiring juniors, we want to see that they have passion. We want to see that they really, really want this because this is a job that you have to be passionate about. You have to love. And if we don't see that in that initial email, then we're going to kind of know this isn't for you and, you know, maybe have a reconsider. So if you really, really want this and you show that passion in an email, then amazing. I think the other piece of advice I always give is if you're reaching out to someone, look them up on IMDb, see what they've done before and find something that you know or that you recognize and talk about it and explain to them why you loved it. You know, what made you feel engaged with that project or, you know, if it's music with that piece of music, the composition, it's just little details like that makes such a difference. Mm. I love that. And so many good things to note there. Again, that sound obvious of just being humble and being considerate of the person's time as well, and just genuinely appreciating them and their work, which makes it much more likely that someone will respond to that as well. So really good stuff there. And sometimes even the emails that I've received, they don't even have my name. They're just like, hi, spiel about themselves and I'm straight in the bin honestly I don't even read it <laughs> I don't no but I don't blame you because you know that that is a copy and paste email and they have just like found a list of people and they've just sent it out to everybody and it's like you haven't personalized it why am I going to pay attention to this like exactly yeah exactly say the name of the person and then put in a personal detail that you have researched about that person to show that it's not a copy and paste 
Exactly. And yeah, when it looks like a generic email, I think especially when you are busy, you have a lot on your plate, then it's just giving you a reason to not add one more thing on your plate that someone hasn't put much time into crafting that email. So really, really good tips there. The other one thing I would say is that with people being busy, sometimes genuinely that first email will get lost in their inbox. It happens to me constantly. It might come in at a time when I am like knee deep in a project and I just haven't got the headspace for anything else. And then by the time that you do have the headspace, you have possibly forgotten about it, which it just does happen because you get so overwhelmed or it's gotten lost in your inbox and you just cannot find it. So I would always say to people, if you haven't heard within two, three weeks, follow up, do a follow up email. And then if after that follow up email, you don't hear back, then that person, you know, just move on. They might not be able to get back in touch with you. They might just have too much on. It's not necessarily that they don't want to help. It just could be they, you know, they have stuff. They have a personal life. There could be anything, any number of reasons. But do do a follow up email. I think everybody forgets about that part. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I love that. There's some saying around that, like the success is in the follow-up or something like that. But yes, I completely, completely agree. So loads of good tips there. Um, And just to kind of clarify as well, so who hires the dubbing engineer? Like, is it the producer? I guess, how are you brought onto the project? So it depends on the job role. So with ADR, you were usually in-house within a facility. So it would just be that the production comes to the facility and they say, we need to book in like five hours of ADR. And so as you're the in-house ADR mixer, you'll be put onto it. When it comes to sound editing or re-recording mixing, it's very different. So sound editing especially, what can happen is... You're either staff in a facility, so you'll be put onto a project again the same way as an ADR mixer, or if you're freelance, facilities don't have like massive crews. They don't have massive staff because it's too much overhead. It's too costly. So what they'll do is they'll hire freelancers to supplement their in-house teams and they will reach out to freelancers that they are aware of, that they know of. And they'll say, okay, we've got this project coming up. We need a sound editor. Are you available on these dates? And then they'll pencil you in and that's how you get hired. Or the third way is, actually, there's two other ways. Uh, Producers and directors will find people that they just really love working with. So when you're starting out, you'll tend to work on a lot of short films or a lot of independent projects. And the great thing about those projects is if you bond with a director and a producer, and they really love your work, and you love working with them, they tend to stick with the same people as they continue on in their career. And so the bigger their projects get, the bigger the projects you get to work on. So you build those relationships very early on, and you just continue on with those people. And then there's also the other option of, there are people called supervising sound editors. And this mainly happens in feature films. And supervising sound editors tend to be freelancers, but they hire their own teams. So kind of like a post house, kind of not. And what will happen is a production will come to a supervising sound editor and be like, okay, I've got this six part TV drama that I'm going to do. I need a team to do all of the sound editing on it. Can you organize that for me? 
And they'd be like, yep, cool. And then they'll go and hire like a dialogue editor or sound assistant. They might get the re-recording mixer as well and they'll look after everything. So it's kind of, it's not linear. There's kind of a few different ways. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. That seems to be the case in most things in the music industry, but uh, good to know. (laughs) And what has been your most enjoyable project that you've worked on so far, Emma? Oh God, it's always a tough question. There is a series (laughs) over here that we did and I don't know if it went outside the UK, but it was called Talking Heads and it actually happened during the COVID pandemic. So basically, uh, you know, film sets and TV sets were shut down and they couldn't really film any content. And when they kind of started opening up a bit, they were obviously very restricted So there used to be this series called Talking Heads and it would literally be one actor doing a performance on screen, doing the story for about 10 minutes. So they're really, really short pieces of content, but they're incredible. And so they decided to redo a second series of this during COVID. And I got to do all of the sound editorial and the re-recording mixing on them. Thankfully, there was no ADR needed because they were in really controlled environments. And they were just incredible, uh, partly because it broke me out of the COVID pandemic a little bit, but also the stories were just really beautiful. And one of them in particular, it's called The Shrine. And you have to be an incredible actor to be able to pull off being on screen by yourself for 10 minutes and holding an audience and keeping their attention. doesn't matter how good the script is, your performance has to be incredible. And the performance of this actress was just amazing. And it was so good to we got to play around with the sound a bit because you had to make the sound interesting because there's not much else going on on screen so you had to find a way to engage the audience as well so with one of the episodes we played around with silence and with literally you know having the sound being overwhelming and then pulling out and highlighting what was being said in the dialogue so that you couldn't focus on anything else you just had to focus on the words so that was a really really fun project to do Another one was an ADR project called What Richard Did. And it was with a director called Lenny Abramson, who did Normal People and The Room. He's an incredible Irish director. And it was a really fun project because it was based on these teenagers back in Dublin who used to be part of a rugby club. And they go to a party on a night out um, at one of their houses and stuff goes wrong. And I'll just say that. But we had to record like the ADR for the party scene. And we wanted to make it as realistic as possible. And at the time, the studio that I was in in Dublin, the ADR studio outside of it was a car park. So we literally ran all of the cables out of the studio into the car park, which was empty because it was six o'clock at night. And we set up the microphones and we got the kids to stand around and scream and shout like they were watching a fight and because there was a fight scene at the party and so like screaming out like they were watching this fight and then we started getting shouted at by the neighbors and got told they were (laughs) going to call the police because they thought it was an actual fight going on we were like no 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 it's just tv it's fine no one's been hurt Uh, but that was really cool because like we got to try and play with a bit of realism and try and make it as like visceral as possible and realistic as possible so yeah those two are probably two of my highlights that's super cool and yes so much creativity in that as well like to think about how can you make the sound more compelling in that 10 minute 
kind of one person performance that you were talking about as well. And even with, uh, yeah, doing this in a car park, which is cool. Yeah, I don't think the neighbours felt like that at the time. Though. Maybe not. <laughs> So now we are on to our speed quiz, Emma. Are you ready for that? Oh, God, no, (laughs) but let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. You'll be fine. All right. Cold weather or warm weather? Oh, warm weather. Oceans or mountains? Oceans. Festival or rave? Can I say neither? (laughs) No. No. Um, I guess festivals then. Definitely not rave. (laughs) Okay. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Oh, again, I want to say both. Uh, dishes, dishes, definitely dishes. Okay, melody or lyrics? Oh, lyrics. All right. Good. That was pretty speedy, I would say. That was great work. <laughs> so coming to our top tips then, Emma, can you tell me your one top career tip? Don't be arrogant. Is the one thing that I say to everybody. Again, like we said earlier on, it's just be humble, be appreciative just be respectful to people and their time. And I find so many people when they're starting out in the industry, especially if they've done university courses or college courses, they come out thinking that they know everything and they don't. You don't like college and university is such a controlled environment and it's not the real world. And I say this as someone who did this when I started out, I came out with such a bad attitude because I thought I had learned everything in university. I could go straight into a job and I was going to be able to, you know, mix my own sessions and run my own ADR sessions and I'd be fine. I was totally wrong. I could not. I still had so much to learn. And I think it's important to remember that, that when you go into your first job or you take your first step, just absorb as much knowledge as you can, ask as many questions as you can, and don't be afraid to say if you don't know anything, because people are going to respect you so much more and they're going to want to help you so much more if you're just honest and say, actually, I don't know how to do that. Can you just show me? And that'd be great. And they will love it, especially Soundies. We love like talking (laughs) and we love passing on knowledge and we love showing our geeky little tricks. And If you ask us that question, we're going to be like, oh, my God, yes, let me show you this. This is really cool. And we'll just nerd out about it. So always ask (laughs) questions. Love it. That's great. Don't be arrogant. Ask questions. That's good. And what is your one top self-care tip? Turn off your phone and turn off your emails and give yourself at least two hours a day where you are not thinking about work, that you just totally switch off. You know, especially after the pandemic and especially the introduction of social media and WhatsApp and instant messaging, it's very easy for clients to constantly want to contact you. And I think boundaries have kind of blurred, working hours have kind of blurred, especially with remote working and different time zones. And I think it can be very easy to get into a habit of being switched on and being present 24-7 for work and that's not good and it's not healthy especially for your mental health and so I think you need to carve out time during your day even if it's just two hours it should be more but even if it's just two hours and you say no no one can contact me this is my time I'm going to go do something nice for myself whether that's just a walk or have a coffee or you know cup of tea or whatever you need to do And it's just for you and no one can come near you. And I think the sooner you get into the habit of that, the better and the better your mental health is going to be. Love it. Now that's uh, 
great to have that switch off time. So a really great tip there. And for the last one, what is your one top general life tip? Don't take this job too seriously and don't take work too seriously and have fun because you know, we only get one life and you may as well enjoy it. And, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. I wish I had given myself that life tip a very, very long time ago. But I think risks can be scary, but they can also be so rewarding. And if your gut is telling you to do something and you think it's going to be terrifying, just do it because it usually works out. Oh, for sure. I love that. And all the best experiences seem to be at the end of the risk taking. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. That has been incredible, Emma, and I have learned so much from this. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And I'm sure our audience will really get a lot from this as well. So thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. My biggest three takeaways from Emma's episode was firstly, that being an ADR engineer is a lot about psychology and to get a good take from an artist, it's important to help them get back to the original mindset of that scene for them to get a great recording. My second biggest takeaway was to get into crowd recording sessions by contacting the engineer involved. And that is a great way to get your first steps on shadowing a session for being an ADR engineer. And my last takeaway was to not be arrogant and to ask questions and your colleagues will respect you more for that and be happy to help you. That's it from us this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks.